Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Last week in Hebrews 12, we looked at the Christian race and God challenged us, be committed for the long term, decide to endure. And I bet everybody that was here said, yes, I'm going to endure. But you will not be able to endure unless you pick up the truth in the middle section of Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about a critical element in, in the enduring process. There is a critical element in understanding how God works that you need to know or you will give up in the Christian life. Follow as I read from Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he chastens us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The chastening of God. Not a real popular topic, <laughs> but really important to understand. And in fact, even in that word chastening, there can be a misunderstanding he starts off, first of all, by telling us of the danger of endurance. He's commended us in verses 1 and 2, look at Jesus and endure. And he says, now listen, there's a danger here, and the danger is you will give up. He says, look at Jesus. Look at how much Jesus endured, how much hostility from sinners against himself. Now, Jesus is an excellent example because we know for a fact he didn't deserve any hostility. You deserve some hostility sometimes. Am I telling you something new? Is there ever a time during the week when you say a crossword to somebody that you think later, I shouldn't have said that, and because you said it, they say something kind of mean back to you? Now, I'm not saying that two wrongs make a right. What I'm saying is, when we look at Jesus, we go, he didn't deserve any of the hostility he got from other people. He didn't deserve any of the difficulty that he went through in his life. He says, but look at him. And then in verse 4, it tells us 
why he is such a great example, because he resisted all the way to bloodshed. Jesus is our mentor in the enduring process. And our mistake in this process is, what verse 3 says, becoming weary and discouraged. The word weary is sometimes translated sick, like in James 5.15, where it talks about people being sick and calling for the elders to come pray for them. He says sometimes you become weary and sometimes you become discouraged. Um, it could, the King James translates it faint or to lose heart. You know what it's like to lose heart. You get up in the morning and you think, I just can't face another day. You've lost heart in the enduring process. You've become weary. You know how far we have to endure, though? Look at verse 4. Now, this is, a, is directed, this is not talking, it's talking about Jesus by example, but it's talking to these Hebrew believers saying, listen, you haven't resisted yet to the shedding of blood, have you? He's saying, look, have you, how far have you gone? You know what our problem is? We draw our own lines in the sand, completely forgetting the truth of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says there is no temptation or testing that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is what? Faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted, what? Above what you are able to bear. Are you telling me that God knows my life so well that whenever something comes along, I can bear up with that? Yes. That's what it says, isn't it? He says, you can bear up with it. Now, the truth is, when you draw that line in the sand, what you're saying is, I don't like this. Yeah, I don't like it either. Christian, God expects you not to give up until you've gone as far as Christ did. That's the standard. Now, that's a challenging standard, but that's the standard. Now, what is the dynamic of endurance? Where is the power in it? The power is in this next section which says, God is parenting you. God is parenting you. Look at verse 5. He tells these folks, he says, you've forgotten something. And the reason he says you've forgotten it is because it was written in the book of Proverbs. This isn't a new truth. This isn't the first time God revealed it in, in A.D. 60 or whenever this was written. He says, look, this was written back in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. First thing we need to look at is the concept of God as a parent. The word for chastening is the same root word for the word child in the Greek language. And when it's used in a, in a different form, like in a verb form, it, it connotes the idea of what a parent does to raise a child. The upbringing and handling of a minor child. One author put it this way, the word is a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train, correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. The problem with this word is when you go to translate it in a Bible version, you've you got to pick one word. And when we hear the word chastening, we tend to think spanking. When we hear the word discipline, we often will talk about the discipline of the Lord, and we think discipline spanking. Um, you know, that is an element in it, but the word is much broader than that. And in fact, what we see here in the parenting of God 
is we see three different words used, which I think indicates three different aspects of God's parenting. And, and by the way, on your, on your notes it says diving parenting. It's supposed to be divine parenting. Somebody sitting at my desk mistyped that. It might, might have been me, but I don't remember. <laughs> divine parenting. I, I would almost paraphrase it this way. My son, do not despise the parenting of the Lord. Don't despise God when he parents you. There are three words used to describe his parenting. The first word is that word chastening. Perhaps a good word to substitute there is the word training. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is valuable for a number of things, and one of them is instruction. That's the same word. It seems to me that since there are three different words used here, that this word is telling us one element of God's work in our life is instruction. No decent parent expects behavior that is not first taught. You don't say to your kid, you know, don't do this or do that or do the other when he has no concept of what it is. You say, here's the deal. See this? Keep your hands off. You give very clear instruction. God is no different. God will tell you what you need to know. Now here's a, here's a catch-22. Here's a uh, coming in the back door. Has God told you what you need to know? <laughs> Has God given you his list of expectations, his list of guidelines? Yes, he has. If you don't know them, whose fault is it? Have you ever had your kids tell your parents, say something like this to you? You never told me I couldn't do that. <laughs> and it's one degree off of the other thing. But sometimes they're right. Hey, friends, the only things God will expect of you are written in this book. And if you don't know them, it is your responsibility to change that. God has given you the information. Now, I, I think God, again, is a, is a loving parent. We'll see that in a minute. So he knows that it takes time to assimilate all this truth. But that's what this parenting process is all about instruction or training certainly when a coach trains an athlete it involves instruction here is what you're doing here's what you should change to get faster or smoother or better on this particular thing you're doing now the coach may go a little bit beyond that to the next word which is rebuke look at verse 5 again don't despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Now I would understand that since this is quoted from the Proverbs, which is written in a Hebrew poetic form, that these two words are used somewhat like synonyms. And here's what the Hebrew poetic form is. In the Old Testament they would say something and say it again from a little different angle, but the, the broad concept is trying to get you to one single point. So we need to be careful to, that we don't separate these two words as two steps. Don't get, we gotta be careful with that. But yet, by God's inspiration, he used two different words. And this one has a very different meaning. It means to expose, to convict, to show fault. If you're on an athletic team, the coach will show you your fault. And sometimes he will do it kindly. Sometimes he will do it not kindly. 
But he will tell you what's wrong, and he will tell you what's right. These two words are kind of two sides of the coin. Training is what's right. Rebuking is telling you what's wrong. Seems to me that in the Scripture we are told that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Christian, when you sin and you feel guilty... That's not just your conscience talking. That's the Holy Spirit going, you did wrong. That's the rebuke of God. And that's a very gentle thing that the Lord does to say, you need to confess your sin. You need to change your behavior. Holy Spirit also uses us. We see examples of that throughout the, the Bible. One of the classic ones is Nathan the prophet and David. David committed adultery and murder and all this heinous stuff. Did David know that was wrong? Yeah, I think so. Do you know what's wrong when you do what's wrong? Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time. You know, when I, when I, when I counsel with people, very seldom do they go, wow, that's a whole new revelation to me. They, they, know, what, they know what's going on. You know what's going on. And yet, David wouldn't confess his sin. So what did God do? He said, Nathan, go over and talk to David. And Nathan went over and used a very well-crafted story that got David all so emotionally involved that David was ready just to put somebody to death, and Nathan said, you're the man. See, God is going to rebuke us, and sometimes he's going to use people to do that. And we're going to talk about that tonight. It is a critically important part of our responsibility in the body of Christ at times to rebuke one another. And it's very uncomfortable, but it's very important. Just like God uses us to spread the gospel, no, none of us here today would look up in heaven and say, God, go out and win some people. We'll wait for them. Go out and spread the gospel, God. We'll wait for them to come. No, we all know God has committed himself to using us. Well, he's also committed in part to using us to confront one another. The Holy Spirit's job of rebuking and sometimes through us. <clears throat> when you are rebuked by God, what is the correct response? When that first twinge of guilt comes, what is the correct response? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. you don't listen to that still small voice of rebuke from God, God will shout at you. <laughs> One well-known preacher put it this way, if you don't confess your sin in private, God will confess it in public for you. That's the third word that's used here in verse 6. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, that's train, <clears throat> and what? Scourges. He whips, he flagellates, he flogs. Every son that he receives. Corrective discipline. How does God spank us? He oftentimes spanks us just through the normal results of sin. You know, if you go out on the freeway and drive 100 miles an hour, sooner or later, you'll see a state patrol officer, and he will want to have a conversation with you. And if you have the audacity to say, I don't deserve this, 
God will probably move in that police officer's heart to help you understand how much you really do deserve it. See? And that would be the easiest thing that God could do in that situation, isn't it? Because if you drive 100 miles, down the free, 100 miles an hour down the freeway, there's a real chance that sooner or later you're going to have a face-to-face with somebody. And you know, that might even happen if you're driving 80 miles an hour. And you might find yourself laying in a hospital bed saying, What's God doing to me? You know what God's doing? He's training you in righteousness. Because you're doing wrong. God scourges, he flagellates, he whips, he flogs every son that he loves. You let your kids play in the street? No, that'd be terrible. Yeah, and it would be terrible if God did it too, wouldn't it? If God just let you go any way you want and do anything you want without any consequences, what kind of a parent would he be? What's our attitude toward God's parenting supposed to be? Look what he says there. We need to value it. He says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord in verse 5. The word despise means to regard something lightly. To look at it and say, oh, that's nothing. That's no big deal. We are to value the chastening of God. When he rebukes us, when he puts the guilt on us, when he sends somebody to us, we are to say, thank you, God, for not letting go of me. Verses 7 through 9 give us the rationale of God's parenting. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as a son. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all sons have become partakers, then you're illegitimate. If you sin and you get away with it, and there's never a problem, it may indicate that you don't know the Lord. You need, you need to take a real hard look. If you're sitting here today going, oh yeah, preacher Dave, <clears throat> talk to the hand, I don't know. You know, I just do what I want to do and there's never a problem. If that's the case, it's probably because you don't know the Lord. Because God chastens every son that he loves, and every daughter that he loves. And he does love you. What is the delight of endurance? Look at verse 10. The delight of our endurance is summarized, in my opinion, this way, Christ-like character. For, and he talks about the human fathers. In verse 9, he says, listen, our human fathers, we gave them respect. Now, in the day in which this was written, if you didn't give your father respect, there were some dire consequences. I realize today that people get away without respecting their father. Okay? And that's a mistake. By the way, young parents, the chief thing you are teaching your children is to respect you because you have a God-given role of authority and they should obey you because you say what's right. Here, he clearly says, we gave them respect. And, and, uh, and then in verse 10, he says, now, those earthly fathers, they chastened us as seemed best to them. Now, what he's saying to you here is, look, your earthly fathers weren't always right. God knows that, and I know that. And that presents some real difficulty. That presents a situation for a Christian child in which they must determine to endure with the Lord. He says, they didn't always discipline you perfectly. Let me put it in a paraphrase. But God always does what is profitable for us so that we may be partakers of his holiness. One of the real problems we have is looking up to heaven saying, God, you're making a mistake. 
Next time you're tempted to do that, if you've been a parent, just think of your own kids. And just think to yourself, did my, ever kid, did my kids ever look at me and say, you're making a mistake? And who was right, me or them? Most of the time you were right. And I guarantee you that with God, every time he's right. God always does what is best for us. He talks about this in terms of holiness. That is our potential in God. 1 Peter 1.16, he commands us, Be holy, for I am holy. In Romans 8.28, that verse that we know so well, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 goes on to say the reason for that, the reason that God works in our life to make everything work to, for good is so that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. God isn't working in your life just so you can be comfortable. God is not interested in your comfort. I, I hate to say that because it applies to me too. God is interested in our holiness. And Christian, the good news is the holier you are, the more you will enjoy life. Even if it's difficult. God's holiness is our responsibility. He commands it. God's holiness is our destiny. We will be like Christ someday. God's holiness is our privilege. God's holiness is, is our privilege do you want to be like the unbelievers around you who have no clue about life? Wow. We saw the, that movie Castaway with uh, Tom uh, Hanks last night. It was on TV. And I guess it's true that the second time you see something, you really pick up on some things that you didn't the first time. And, and, you know, that's a great story of human drama and so on. And, you know, really tugs at your heart in a lot of ways. But when it comes right down to the end, you know what the moral of life is for him? Well, see what the wind brings in tomorrow. Make a choice. Go that way and see what the wind brings in. You want to live your life that way? I don't live my life that way. I don't wait for tomorrow and say, well, wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. No, I'm saying, hey, here's some things i got to be working on. Here's some things our church has to be working on. God has given us some things to do. We have the opportunity to participate in God's holiness. Wow. What's the perspective we're supposed to have? Look at verse 11. Now, no chastening, no training seems to be joyful. I'm going to paraphrase it. When it's happening. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does our perspective need to be? First of all, get your mind set that you are going to endure some difficulty in life. I don't know who the person was that told you that the plan of life is smooth sailing. Just on a human level, with just, you know, let's just take God out of the equation for a minute. Who in the world says that human life is basically a, a, a smooth sail, an, an easy go, a walk in the park? It's not. And Christian, God is going to add some things to the normal difficulties of life because he wants you to be holy, he wants you to be like Christ. So get your mind set that there's going to be some difficulty. When you go to work in the morning, do you make a conscious decision like this? Well, I'm going to go to work, but if it ain't fun, I'm going home. <laughs> Kathy does, I know. <laughs> but it's always fun. Why do we use that in the Christian life? Well, I'm going to live for the Lord, but if it ain't fun, I'm checking out. 
You, you can't do that in any other part of life. Well, you can do it, but, but the end of it, you know, God says, is the ways of death. You know, there's all kinds of ways to check out. You need to get your mindset, there's going to be some difficulty in life. But the great thing is, you're not walking alone. That's the whole point. God is in the whole process for you. Secondly, he says, get your mind focused on the product, not the process. No chastening seems to be joyful when it's happening. It seems painful. James chapter 1 doesn't say, when you fall into a trial, say, oh boy, I've got hardship. He doesn't say that. He says the same thing this verse says. He says, look at it and say, hey, this is going to be a challenge. It's going to be painful, but... I am going to welcome it because afterward it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life. If I allow it, literally it says to be trained. Allow it to train me. Again, those of you that are parents, your kid goes to play on on a softball team. Do you stand there and countermand all the instructions of the coach when it's not fun for your kid? If you do, you're one of those parents who gets kicked out. No, I mean, if you're a good parent, when the kid, kid comes home going, oh, we had to run laps around the field. If you're a good parent, you say, good. You need to take another one, yeah. <laughs> Get your mind focused on the product, not the process. When work is tough, you meditate on the number of zeros in your paycheck. And then you really get motivated, right? <laughs> no. Oh, man. Get focused on the product. You know, medicine is a good example for us here. Most medicine tastes bad. I mean, I don't really chew pills, but once in a while when I get that taste when I'm trying to swallow one, I don't think, yeah, I want another one of those. No, I think, oh, man, I've got to take these for a few more days and then I'll be better. Most surgery causes pain and swelling. Most hospital stays are less than fun, unless you really like hospital food. Most physical therapy hurts. Yet we willingly submit to medical treatment. Why? Because we focus on the product, not the process. There is no way for God's training to always be fun, but it is always profitable. Someone has written this. And so what do I say? I say, let the rains of disappointment come if they water the plants of spiritual grace. Let the winds of adversity blow if they serve to root more securely the trees that God has planted. I say, let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if that brings me closer to the true light of life. Welcome sweet discipline, discipline designed for my joy, Discipline designed to make me what God wants me to be. Wow, that's a mature prayer. I don't know if I'm quite up to that. But that's where we need to be, Christian. I have a couple of things for you if you want to try and apply this more more closely in your life. One thought would be this. Make a list of the current challenges in your life and do what James says. Say, thank you, God, for bringing this because you want to train me by it. I bet you have that list already in your head, and I bet you've been fussing with it. 
You might have even had the audacity to say, God, take this away, take this away. Go home today and say, God, bring it on. Grow me up, mature me. Thank God for those things and begin to look for what your divine parent wants you to learn. Number two, here's a memory verse for you for this week. Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. Heavenly Father, help us to keep your word. Thank you for loving, loving us enough to parent us. Keep doing it. Keep pulling us to yourself. Keep pulling this church to yourself. Help us never to be satisfied with where we're at in our level of righteousness, our level of Christ-likeness. Help us to always be open to your leading to move on in Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life. Thank you.